Hello and welcome to the third series of Magnified with Matt Cooper, which is a podcast series which I record at my kitchen table at home, in which I invite guests to come and talk to me for about an hour or so about their careers, about their lives, about their ambitions, about the things they're doing now. And hopefully you'll find it very entertaining and informative. So we've done two series. If you want to catch up on those, they're all available wherever it is you get your podcasts. But we're about to start the third series this week. And the first guest that we've chosen is a man who is largely responsible for the arrival of the largest peacetime gathering of Americans in Europe. Those who have travelled for the college's American football game between Notre Dame and Navy on the 26th of August at Lansdowne Road in Dublin. Porico Kane has a career in hospitality and in the restaurant business, but he explains in this interview how he got involved in a love for American football and the people that he got involved with in bringing this event to Ireland, the economic benefits of it, and the challenges that are involved in organising something so big, particularly at a time when there are also justifiable fears for the safety of tourists in Dublin in particular. So I hope you enjoy Porico Kane. Okay, thank you so much for being with us here today on Magnified. Your man responsible for the biggest movement, I think, of Americans in peacetime out of the country. That's what's going to happen at the end of August, isn't it? Yeah, and we've been talking about getting on to Guinness over this record for a while. I don't think we've ever got around to it, but we might yet. Yeah, it's 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 incredible considering everything we've been through with COVID, etc., that over 40,500 of the 49,000 people in the Aviva on the 26th of August will be international and just over 39,500 of them are travelling directly from the United States, So, uh, which is a new world record for the largest amount of Americans to move outside wartime. How many aircraft does that require? I don't know. Um, I should ask Aer Lingus that. It's, it's, it's a good question. We we know we've um, we've three aircraft taken, we've two aircraft taken the, ba- or taken the two, uh, two Aer Lingus crafts going into... Uh, um, um, into South Bend, Indiana to take out Notre Dame, which is the first time an Aer Lingus plane will have went in there. Uh, out of Chicago, they'll take the Notre Dame band, which is a 300-piece band coming into Dublin. And out of Baltimore will come Navy. So uh, Aer Lingus are kind of off route for uh, for a day or two, uh, going to places, they, particularly in South Bend, that's, uh, um, you know, South Bend, Indiana. Um, while there's an airport there and it's an international airport, etc., it would be new for Aer Lingus. It's a lot of private jets and big teams coming in and out. So... Um, it'll be great to see an Aer Lingus plane and presumably to get 39,000 people across they must be coming in for a week 10 days in advance staggered over the time yeah so on average staying staying seven nights four nights in Dublin or the country or vice versa uh, they literally they fly into Europe and get the secondary flight uh, into Ireland just we don't have enough planes that come into Ireland uh, directly so uh, these guys go as far away into Europe and get the secondary flight through to Ryanair or wherever into Dublin so and Shannon and that's the nice thing about this game I suppose suppose because you know you take an Ireland England game which would be equivalently big for the capital etc but this one really does these people come on holidays that's why we try to get these games launched two years out so they think they think of their you know the, the holiday all just want to do in Europe or in Ireland etc and spend seven to ten days a lot of these guys even though they're staying seven days in Ireland are going on to Scotland or going on to mainland Europe afterwards so they're making their their, their holiday out of this but on average staying seven nights in Ireland which is a huge boost to our economy. Is it also the biggest, when it comes to a sporting event in Ireland, you have internationals 
in Lansdowne Road. We've even had rugby internationals and soccer internationals in Croke Park. But they're largely Irish people at home. Is this the biggest number as well to ever travel for a sporting event in Ireland? We understand so. Uh, in, in one, obviously, you have, when you, we have Ryder Cups, obviously a lot of people come in over the four days, etc. But mostly out of Europe, Europe and so on and so on. But as in putting into a stadium, into one, into one event, we understand it's the biggest. Because that's of interest. This is the year that Ireland wanted to host the Rugby World Cup and lost out, which is why it is in France. And there was a lot of concern as to whether we would be able to cope with the influx of numbers. In some respects, this actually will demonstrate that we are capable of dealing with large crowds coming in for international tournaments. Yeah, and no question. And there's other weekends. Like, I mean, the football weekend just just went past and the, the Brayer show was on and there was a game in the Aviva, albeit not the biggest uh, game from an attendance point of view, etc. But Dublin has proven time and time again it can deal with infrastructure like this. On this particular weekend, um, with that amount of Americans in town, uh, Dame Street turned into another Dame Street uh, as their home game. So we actually are closing down uh, Dame Street from the Friday evening. So again... I think that's part of showing that we have a city centre that can put a fan zone and a fan base into it and working very closely with the city council and, and on Garda Sheikhan and the transport authorities. Uh, we will have beverage on the street, there'll, there'll, be, there'll be bars on the street between 12 and 5 while, while they tailgate as, as only Americans can, albeit we won't have the big 4x4 four four, four, uh, diesel goodsner, goodlers in the middle of Dame Street but it just shows the whole infrastructure for our Rugby World Cup or for key events, uh, Dublin is well capable of it and we're, just, we're, we're going to definitely demonstrate it on game week between the 24th and the 26th. Okay and there's loads of positives I want to talk about but there is one concern maybe because in recent weeks of incidents around Dublin where tourists have been attacked and beaten and indeed the American embassy gave a warning so what are you going to do to try and persuade people to be careful and how confident are you that americans coming in will be safe so it's an issue uh, for sure uh, i think people's safety we have to take as paramount uh, we were with our weekly meeting with the Gardaí, and i say weekly we've been, they've been going on now for nearly three months it was last friday we brought up the, the pacific uh, issue around safety for this specific week weekend and on Saturday, uh, policing will be at the level of St Patrick's Day in Dublin for for the particular game with the amount of uh, foreign tourists and visitors to our city coming into town. So we really appreciate that from the for, from from uh, the authorities etc. for for the level that that it, that has been taken on for that. But I do think personal safety comes in. Uh, like I mean, we 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 notice the embassies. Um, Notification, or as they called it, um, uh, safety concerns um, statement. Um, didn't consult with anyone here. Don't have to. Um, but I think you know it, it went very far in in relation to to. to uh, a lot of it was common sense and a lot of it around jewellery and, and phones and so on and so forth you know people have to take personal responsibility and uh, part of the work we're doing we've, we've developed an app for the weekend and we've asked all the agencies to, to, to deliver into that our messaging around we know things like pickpocketing will be one of the biggest issues in Dublin that weekend we know they come in from abroad we, we went through this in 2012 when we had similar numbers in um, but it's, it's about personal safety and making people aware and we're using, using the app for, for that in and around safety and to do everything we can but you know it's like any city in the world though I think Dublin you know we, we yes we have a crime and we may have a particular issue at the moment but as the Naval Academy uh, noted back to us because we got out ahead when this happened and talked about schools and uh, and and went through the concerns before any statement was made etc and uh, the Naval Academy came back to me it's about personal sta- safety and uh, informing our people of, of what to do and what not to do and we will do that Okay a couple of things there Pickpockets deliberately came from Europe yes. in 2012. Yes, and expected back this time again. 
Um, so that's, you know, that's a concern and we will make uh, um, uh, all the visitors into the city very much aware of that. Um, so, you know, it, it, they see it as an opportunity and I'm sure they don't even need to come from, from Europe on it. There'll, there'll, be, there'll be some of our own. So we're introducing the, the um, a bag policy for the whole city, similar to what we would in the stadium that don't carry one bigger than an A4 and talk about people's safety and so on and so forth. So even if they're going to Mass in Dublin Castle or Dame Street or some of the key events, you know, we're recommending to people to treat it like you're going into a stadium uh, in relation to what you bring around of it, etc. And what's on the app? So the app will take you through. So one of our, our, our big concerns with this game in particular, when you have over 14,500 or 49,000 people in the Aviva Stadium, the game will end in and around uh, 10.40, give or take 10 minutes. Uh, NBC tell me it'll be three hours from 7.30. But um, and, and I think there's another sporting event to go on to. So hopefully they will keep it within the three hours. But what that means, though, is the vast majority of people leaving the Aviva Stadium uh, can't pipe piper home. In other words, there ain't enough Irish there, locals there, take, take a typical rugby game you know it's half Irish half uh, whatever the visiting team is same at soccer or whatever so we've we've really worked hard in relation to to plan your way home and um Things like Dublin Bus have put on a complimentary bus shuttle service in and out of the city. We've looked at the darts uh, system uh, and again, um, uh, credit to, to Aaron, Aaron for, for, for their commitment and their, their work with what they're doing. So, you know, we've looked at what would be going normally out the Bray direction, etc. We've looked at the accommodation of them hotels as well. As well. So we're looking to turn some of the, the, the trains around and put them into the city. So it's a whole one around transport. We're putting in temporary taxi ranks. Uh, the RDS turns into a bus park for private uh, car hires and, and buses and stuff like that so the amount of logistics going in behind but the concern there is at it's you know you'll go into a stadium bright uh, it's a stadium where you can have a pint at your seat etc so alcohol will play a part they'll be on Notre Dame Street tailgating earlier on so it's about getting that 40,000 Americans home safely and, and, and the app will play its part with that because they can't all stay in Dublin city centre presumably they're going to all around Dublin as well yeah uh, funny now when we got into it it's amazing how you know it's amazing how this city has come on in 2012 we had a comment and there was 35,000 Americans in town for the game in 2012 there was accommodation hubs down as far as that loan and Drogheda none of them are needed this time uh, the level of, of accommodation that's available within Dublin City or the greater Dublin area um, there's almost I think 8,000 bed spaces available which is a, a, a different I- issue um, on um, on, on um, apartment rental um, name gone from Airbnb. Airbnb so it's a huge figure you know in relation to that which could be a knock on figure when we, when we go into that so the, the, the greater city centre area can actually accommodate in around 40,000 people um, which uh, as we got into the logistics and understand it because from our perspective we're in control about 10,000 people coming in when I say in control uh, official teams uh, official travel packets etc but there's 30,000 people who've made their own way here uh, have booked their own flight have booked their own tickets have done everything themselves so they're we're equally um, watching how they get on etc but it looks like they're in the greater uh, Dublin city centre area uh, which is which is which again going back to the Rugby World Cup is really interesting to, to see that Financing all of this though because you actually have to pay Notre Dame don't you to actually come here because they give up a home game to actually move the game to Dublin you have to rent the stadium this must be an incredibly expensive undertaking so how do you make money out of it? Yeah it is um, we're, we're fortunate so I think Notre Dame and uh, and deserve a lot of credit um, for giving up a home game. Typically, they wouldn't be our uh, captive audience. They're more the away team. And what I mean by that, it's a Navy or a Northwestern or an Illinois or Georgia Tech who's coming here in 24th. So in other words, a smaller team with a stadium capacity, no more than 40,000 um, people that 
we can almost buy out because if you're going to someone like Georgia Tech or Navy and you're saying to them, look, we want you to move this game to Ireland and we want you to bring a Florida State or an, a Notre Dame or a Nebraska with you, um, they're giving up a profitable game. So we have to come up with the resources to compensate them for giving up a home game and also then moving two teams across the Atlantic, which is the rental of two charter planes, two hotels, because uh, it's not the 23 aside as we're so used to on a, on a, on a rugby panel or a, or a soccer or a gap panel. There's 110 players coming with these guys and a marching band and the whole resources that, that, that go in behind it. So when we, um, I suppose when we, when we really started to take this serious after, um, I mean, Ireland was very fortunate in 2012, uh, the United States Naval Academy um, made it, they were here in 96 with Notre Dame and made a decision to come back again as part of their partnership and come in and rented the, the stadium, uh, took the lesser risk, but the, the Aviva was just been built at the time when, when they looked at it in 2010. But they they took the, the risk on that. Uh, we thankfully um, had the had the uh, blessing to look at after Notre Dame through, through the, the Nocturne family. Martin was a trustee at the time um, and learned about the whole game, etc. But the risk was there. I think the risk went on to uh, Crow Park, took a game in 2014. Again, Penn State were under restriction. So wasn't costing us what a normal game would. And even in the 2016 game, Boston College wanted to do it because they wanted to, I suppose, reignite their roots. Notre Dame had got a, had a jump on them again in 2012. So after that game in 16, we had to get our stakeholders around, which is public. It's a brilliant public-private partnership, Matt, that we've put, we've put together now. And we, you know, we said to people, um, both both private and public, look, if we're serious about this, we've got to be able to come up with a package that compensates a team that has no Irish connection. You take Northwestern that were here last year. Yeah, we found loads of fourth generation Pat Ryan from Aon and we've developed that relationship. And Northwestern now feel part of Ireland. That's part of the business model uh, as well. But if you're going to convince someone like that to give up a home game, we've got to compensate them and we've got to deal with all the different movements uh, of the team. Uh, and there's no change out about for a normal game outside another game of in, in around six million dollars, five million euros. So that makes up, a, that's a balance of um, sponsorship, both both uh, private and public, uh, from Erlingus, uh, Dublin City Council, Fault Ireland and Tourism Ireland and, and, and many others. Uh, it's a percentage of, of ticketing and thankfully a college football game dictates a higher dollar ticket price in the States and we gotta, we got to manage that and then there's a number there's a percentage of risk between the uh, the organisers which is our company and on location in the in the United States so it's balancing all that uh, and then this one comes with a, an extra bit of um, um, finance because when we lost the 2020 game with Notre Dame Navy um, the earliest we could have got that back after COVID was 2026 and the steering committee felt look we thought we were looking at another 2012 where it got the economy re-going then. I think it played a huge part in that after, after the recession. We assumed similar after COVID. As it turned out, not necessarily, but we wanted that game earlier and we approached Notre Dame and to be fair to them, um, they were very open in relation to their figures, what they, w- what they would need in relation to compensate a Navy game, which would have been in November of this year, etc. Getting into their colder season in and around the full stadium, but, it, but it's classic. What's their full stadium in South Bend? 80,000. Yeah, that uh, much for college football. Yeah, yeah, and they fill all the time, and there's probably another twenty, thirty thousand people out in the car park tailgate, and they don't have a ticket, so it just puts it in, into perspective. So they came with a higher price, and we went back to our stakeholders, and we all agreed 
we'd, we'd find a way to do it and did. Uh, and that's what makes it quite exciting for a public-private partnership for a major event coming in. It, it, it is a real, and, and we have a steering committee that is jointly chaired by Neil Lockton and, and Stephen Kavanagh. And um, they're a fantastic group of people who really are engaged in this and have the green jersey on as part of this uh, part of the overall project. What prompted you to get involved to start this up in the first place? Yeah, um, a moment of madness, I guess. Um, it comes out of that 2012 game when uh, we were fortunate enough to do a lot of the Nocton family events and Glentimplex events over the years. And uh, I remember uh, Mr. Nocton ringing me in 2011 and saying, there's a group of guys coming in from Notre Dame um, for a game next year. We'll see what they want uh, or what we need to do. And, you know, meeting these guys and they said, Porky, you look after our tailgate and their pep rallies. And I said, yeah, as soon as I Google them, of course they will, etc. But then going to South Bend on that November and look, I went to Mel's in Longford where we were pretty handy at football back uh, when I was doing my leaving cert. But we might have been in the All-Ireland Final up in Clonus and there might have been 5,000 people at it. That's the All-Ireland Final. And here was college football um, with 80,000 people in a stadium. Like, I mean, this, you know, it, it, it was incredible. And to see this tailgating and to see the alumni and how the whole thing works. So we got, we got hooked on it very, very quickly. And we, we supported Crow Park in 2014. And then when the 2016 game collapsed, uh, John and I felt it was just too big. Uh, John Anthony from On Location, uh, it was just too big to lose. And we gathered a, a number of like-minded people around us uh, to come together. And I still remember uh, uh, and to really and why the green jerseys put on I remember in 2014 uh, Martin and Fergal Nocton had went into Crow Park to see how they could support um, um, Crow Park with the game to get more domestic tickets and move it on and uh, I remember being with um, Martin Nocton a few weeks later and he said poor go in and support do x y and z uh, with it and I was going out the door and I just kind of I turned around and I said do you mind me asking why and these were two schools, Penn State and UCF, that had no connection with Ireland at the time. He said, these are the future men and women, and remember women on the, on, on, on the, um, the marching band and the cheerleader and a number of other sports that come with it. These are the future leaders of the United States. Someday they'll want, they'll be a CEO or CFO of a company and want a European headquarters. And that was his... Uh, him and Don Keogh, uh, who's the Keogh Nocton, uh, Don Keogh of Coca-Cola, who, who's, who's no longer with it, which, which the trophy is called after, they believed to keep the Ireland-American relationship going and stronger was true college football and true alumni. And they were right, and we're glad we, we were able to move this on, and we're probably at a point now uh, where this will be an annual game. Um, please God, for, forevermore, men. But take a step back. Would it be right to call you a restaurateur rather than an event manager? Uh, well, yeah, a bit of both. both. But yeah, absolutely, but not at this scale. Um, sort of, it, it, it would have been, um, I suppose, well, I, I hotelier with 40 in the UK, and when I came home, I would have worked with, uh, as commercial director, with, with um, Master Chefs, who were one of the key uh, caterers at the time. They would have done most of the stadia and race courses and the Irish Open, Murphy's Irish Open, I remember doing it for years and uh, been, been a, the catering director on it. Um, Sorry, so just tell me a little bit about that because I've often reckoned that when you're at these events as a punter you take it for granted that you can get your food quickly get your drink or whatever but it also has struck me it must be something of a nightmare to manage to get everything organised for people at events like that Oh my, yeah I have there's a couple of chapters in the book will be dedicated it for sure and normally uh, back in them days it's not a case that we'll do this this weekend and we'll have another event next weekend used to have the the Budweiser Irish Derby, Derby clashing with the Murphy's Irish Open and you meant to be in two places at the one time so we'd split the team and 
then um, Porrick Liston, God rest him, the, the year he decided to put the Murphy's Irish Open down Ballybunion was a year that nearly killed me because uh, I think I went down about three months beforehand to put in the first uh, container and uh, it sunk and we worked out then that everything would have to go into scaffolding and that meant a bill that was beyond anything and I... I sorry, sorry, hold on, explain to me the container sinking. So the sandy this, the sandy surrounding of, of Ballybunion, it, it wasn't built to take an event like this where a lot of them are, the likes of uh, your photo and your Druid's Lane and your Kate Clubs. When, when them courts were being developed, they were thinking about big events, but you go into somewhere like Ballybunion, um, where it's the most beautiful place on, the, on earth, etc., but not necessarily built to take a... Uh, an Irish opener, a Murphy's Irish opener, that and all the bars and the, the things the lads used to bring on it. So I remember collapsing at the end of that Sunday and literally collapsing. It was mind-boggling what goes into these events. So uh, you had to organise the construction scaffolding for putting up... Put containers and marquees and everything else that we would... So you, you're not... You're, what you'd normally go up and grab that pint off or, or, or that burger off, etc. The amount of infrastructure that goes in behind that is, is beyond uh, belief. And to be fair, it's an industry I'm happy not to be as closely connected with now because... Uh, um, legislation and has moved on to another level completely and th- these guys need these events to be three and four days as opposed to one and two and they need dry weather and they need to get a cu- customer out and in a, in, in a good way so there's a huge risk in in, in in that sector but that's probably where I would have got uh, my uh, gore for um, um, uh, events and so on and so forth and got a knowledge of how these things all work etc. How'd you get into that? So that literally when when a hotelier, I think when you're in hospitality, um, it's funny. Well, sorry, take a step back. You did you leave in certain St Bells in Longford, and you're from Longford. Yes, yeah. But then you went north. Head to Portrush, Catering College, Northern Ireland Hotel, and uh, Catering College up in Portrush. Um, fabulous few years. I think I learned more in the local nightclub, uh, um, as my mother would say, probably pulling uh, pulling points and getting to know how logistics worked. There the, was Kelly's in Portrush, and they used to do a, a disco a rave on a Saturday night with two and a half thousand people at it, and you learn logistics there fairly handy. Uh, and I did, and I got a gore for. And, and part of when I went to 40 hotels I would have specialised more in food and beverage and more in the banqueting side and I get such a kick out of doing a dinner for 2,000 people and the whole logistics side that goes into it and logistics is huge and you take the average hotel general manager you know they're an amazing creature he or she you know has to they're across the sectors you know from yeah, a, so what personal personality do you like because as you say it there you have to be to be a really good hotel manager you have to be excellent front of house and dealing with customers and being warm and welcoming and yet firm in relation to demands that have been made of you but from what you're saying then you also have to have an extraordinary logistical ability to make sure everything runs to time and on budget Absolutely. Some GMs will take on a deputy or a number of deputies who are the front of house person, who are the face of the hotel, and they're the logistic, they're the financial person, etc. Most are, are are balanced that they're able to do it all. So they, every department, HR. So it is that you know a hotel general manager. The next time you see one, they're multi-skilled. They you know they they from from managing the budget of that hotel to the logistics around. You know you move from a Monday night you know where you might have hundred people in house to a Saturday night where you have four hundred people in house and they all want breakfast at the same time. They all want to check out at the same time and they've got a hangover because they've been at up in the bar till three o'clock in the night before and still wanted more pints at twenty past three and annoyed the night manager and all the rest that goes with it etc. So yeah, we're a crazy bunch. We're definitely at last half half full um, um, industry and and it's a fabulous industry and we you know at the moment we we really have to encourage more kids back into the sector because a lot of where our managers come out now are actually qualified in anything from 
law to medical etc who make a change over to hospitality they've done degree in x y and z so uh and come and over are they necessarily the right people to go into the business because the way you describe it i think traditionally an awful lot of school leavers go directly into catering management or college or whatever it, it's a it's a it's a mixed a mixed bag i think the guys who turn over from a different degree are probably the ones just are, that are oozing with personality and, and logistics and just don't want to sit at a desk nine to five monday to friday they want more and that's why they come out and look at some within hospital and hospitality and entertainment is so huge now in relation to the leisure side of it and the restaurant bars hotels etc so yeah in the but you need strong uh, like I mean it is a business you need strong financial management you need it probably stronger than ever particularly at the, the tsunami of things that are coming after at us have come at us for the last couple of years and are about to come at us in my opinion over over the over the next year or two so you, you really need to be a balanced person between uh, you know smiling uh, when the Coopers come in and looking after and whether it's accommodation or whether it's restaurant etc and going back to the office and working out the, the, the hard decisions with, with the team and so on so yeah it's uh, you're definitely at last half full. Okay, and tell us about moving on from Master MasterChef, yes. was it, into setting up your own restaurant. Or was that effective because you went into the Mansion House and then set up fire? Yeah, we're 18 years in the Mansion House. Uh, myself and uh, my business mar- partner in that side of the business, Larry Murn, who's the CEO of Don Farms, and we're involved in Seoul and the, and the Roundroom, etc. But no, I made the crazy decision when I was 29. Um, all I said I was going to have to do my own thing before I was 30. So I did that, but I just forgot to work out what it would be. Um, so I remember giving up the, the well-paid job. We hadn't kids at the time, etc. Um, and thanking the guys for, you know, a lot of mentoring, a lot of good work. They, they, they allowed me to develop myself and, and help you with uh, back in 2002. And, uh, yeah, off I went. I operated Slane for Henry for eight or nine years in relation to, to, to uh, getting the castle up and running for a wedding venue and doing the VIP for the concert, etc. And we developed, we picked up clients like Martin Nocton along the way. Uh, we operated the 2004 EU presidency for the Irish government from the catering side of it, etc. Around the, around the country. And it developed from there. And then an opportunity came up in... Sorry, I'm going to take it back. When you mentioned Slane, did you end up having to do the catering for all the stars in Slane as well? We One or two, yeah. It was were you literally having to take the blue M&M's out of the jar? No, because I that's where the that's where the other side of the personality would come out. That definitely is done by someone else. Um, yeah, no, it's good to see the the. the I, I think some of these artists come up with writers for catering that just uh, piss us off and putting it in, in blunt terms, or to see how ridiculous they can get it too. But um, no, in the main, I've been fairly okay of the request that we've got our they get a look from me that kind of know right we won't push them too much further uh, if I want to get fed here at all but, but I presume as well though even for things like the concerts or the sports events you not get to see or hear nothing do you because you're so busy not far off it no, not far off there's moments you know there, there absolutely is moments when, you, when you're in that you get um, you know Robbie Williams and Slane the day the year he um, um, was the was the came on at five o'clock and the Ireland were playing soccer and he just blew the place away let me entertain you and poor old was it Verve that came on after him having a chance so there's moments you pick up U two's second U two's second concert was or was was to do with the Jason McIntyre goal wasn't it from there so yeah yeah you have the memories in the moments etc but yeah you're trying to keep an hour ahead of you know you're watching um, you know when you've thousands or hundreds or tens of thousands depending on what part of the, the catering operation or the event operation you're doing you're trying to stay a couple hours ahead you're watching trends of what people are drinking or eating they mightn't be doing the same in one side of a um, a, com- a complex to the other and you're moving things and so on so you, it's, it is a, again it goes back to the logistics of making sure uh, you're keeping people full of whatever they need 
And also Henry Man Charles is one of the most entertaining characters to socialise with. I can imagine he must be great to work with as well. Um, I had fabulous uh, eight or nine years down with, down with uh, Henry. Um, unbelievable person himself and his wife Iona. Like, I mean, they're, they're just amazing. They, and again, I think they've got one or two lifetime awards from the hospitality entertainment uh, business and deserve them because the risk he took along with the promoters back in the in bygone years when, you know, where are you going putting 80,000 people into a field in Slane where it was, was, was mad. Um, it was brilliant and look I mean and you know Slane Castle um, is known for that and, and his, his his son Alex has moved that on so far since in relation to the distillery and where they've taken it to, a, to, an, to another level now and good luck to them So tell us about coming into the mansion house then. Yeah, that was, you know, it's, it's hard to believe we're 18 years there um, um, this year, uh, 2005. So uh, three years into my, my own journey and a, a tender came up for it. Um, it was a four year, nine month. And I remember ringing um, Larry, who were just getting to know each other um, when I was in uh, Math Chefs, uh, Larry's sister Fran, who's no longer with us, uh, was the CEO of Witte. So uh, there would have been a good battle between us all, all the years. And unfortunately, uh, we lost Fran the same time I lost my uh, brother-in-law, Mike. And that's what brought Larry and I together. And we were just chatting through that. And we just bonded. And when that tender came up, we said we'd go for it. And uh, we did. And I, I remember being in it. Um, both of us would have known the round room business very well, uh, Larry, from the Witte's perspective uh, and uh, myself from venues and events and so on and we were able to I remember doing the DCC uh, interview and we were able to go through very clearly what the round were doing and then I said and the restaurant what will you do with that and I says um, we don't know but I'll tell you what we do know he said it's in the the supper room is one of the best locations one of the best buildings in Dublin uh, Dawson Street's a fantastic location we're going to go and research the marketplace we're going to talk to the people of Dublin we're going to look abroad at what's working in relation to trends and within nine months of taking it over we will open up that concept in the meantime we'll open up the restaurant at the, at the mansion house so rather than coming in we're going to be an Italian we're going to stand in the other we told them what, how we're going to take it through a process what we believe it was worth from a rental perspective and how to take it on and we got a call a couple of days later to say you're it and off we go from there and we've more, moved that four year nine month lease now into a full proper commercial I think we're another 20 years to go now with, 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 uh, with the city council so we've worked with a lot of Lord Mayors and, and, and worked closely with the house and the round room and it's, it's a great where the public rooms of, of the mansion house the Lord Mayor's residence uh, is the other side of it so I think this is Lord Mayor number 19 or 20 for, uh, uh, for me and working with them closely it's great Dahi has just taken over there as Lord Mayor at the moment and he's got a lot of ambitions uh, to take through some Lord Mayors are quieter and, and so on so yeah that's a fabulous part of it too working with them and seeing what, the, what their objectives for the years. The round room is a beautiful room for an event and I've hosted many events inside there be it conferences during the day or dinners at night or whatever and stuff it's absolutely a tremendous venue but then what you have with fire how has the restaurant business in Dublin gone since Covid? I mean I know you had a difficult Covid but since we've returned from Covid 
people aren't going into the city centre as much as they were. So how are you managing to cope with that? We have two really reasonably large restaurants in Fire and Soul over on South William Street, uh, Soul Seafood and Grill. Um, it was so hard to know what would come out of COVID. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, we closed February, March 2020. We got opened again February 2022. So two years gone. And of that one year was gone completely. We were closed and part of the other one we were open at 40% or social distance and, and there's another chapter in the book in that but when we got open in February 20 February 2022 probably what it, 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 it was by the time June came we were back to a I knew now the, the, uh, and it, it's funny when you you find yourself now in August of, of, of 2023 and you, you know you look back on trends um, we don't have a trend 2019 was a different year it's because of inflation you know 17 20% it, it's it's so hard so it's hard to compare itself to 2019 it's hard to compare itself to 22 which is nearly a one off year so you said 17 20% inflation because we keep hearing of single digit inflation but in the food business is it different yeah absolutely um, in, so and, and I'll take, take it through that a little bit so if you take, we're also fortunate, I suppose, in our, in our restaurants, we are either corporate or celebration. And what I mean that by that is from a celebration point of view, it's somewhere you dress up, you go to and, uh, and so on and so forth. It's corporate and it's, it's more tourism uh, at the moment. Uh, last year was excellent when we came back. People wanted to come out, they wanted to spend. Um, but what was coming at us very, very quickly was what, what was a serious cost issue in relation to increasing from, and hasn't stopped, um, from staffing who needed it. Uh, simple as that. The cost of living in Dublin is just horrendous for um, for, for anyone on, on, on a low to medium wage. Um, food costs, energy costs, all of those insurance costs, even simple things uh, on one of our leases, you know, we're, 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 we're on a, um, a percentage turnover after a certain point, which, which, which a lot of leases would be, you know, we had to go back and start talking about inflationary because of it, you know, that this wasn't real sales uh, that, are, that, that were going in there uh, in so many ways. They, they, they were to do to, to do with uh, increasing to just try and stay where you are or even and we weren't even weren't even achieving that so it's sales weren't the issue so if I compare it to 2009 2010 when we were in fire when the recession I always say recessionary hit Daw Street in March 2009 you know that was a case of the what the sales weren't there is who you were laying off tomorrow how do you pull the, the down for it and we probably didn't all react quick enough this time, sales are there. They're, they've held from 22 to 23 in relation to there's growth. It's a mixture of inflation and, and, and actual growth. Um, we're probably seeing trends in the city a little bit more like old summers where um, last year it was just consistent, a lot of domestic stayed at home and so on, so, uh, so on and so forth. Whereas the, the tourists that's in the city now and they, they came earlier this year is a mixture of... Um, coach tour and so on so it's a different spend they're not necessarily out in restaurants so we're seeing a lot, what I'd call a roller coaster and a different, the difference between Monday night and so on and so forth whereas the first five months of the year were quite consistent so that can have an issue in relation to staffing etc you risk it you stay with it but it, it can have if, if people are booking on the day or, or, or last minute that does normally have a, have a bearing on, the, on, on their their framework to spend uh, as opposed to someone who's, who's booked a, a, a week out etc so it's um I still think sales are solid. I think we're looking at September on when we get back to normal corporates, so, um, uh, a normal domestic balance with tourism. The, the sales are there. Costs are very concerning, Matt. Because uh, when you say the sales are there, people are probably expecting to pay the price that they paid last year, despite the fact that your costs are nearly 20% higher. Correct. 
and it's can you, how much of that can you pass on before people start to start decide to stop going to restaurants well the real pass on it's going to have to come and that's the concern. Like, I mean, if this VAT rate is going ahead, it's not just that 4.5%. You know, you talk about if that budget comes out with a minimum wage moving up to, to 12.60 an hour, which is a 12% increase again, we pay up to, in the city centre 12.60 an hour. It has gone Already. A, a, a long time ago, but it will have a knock-on effect in relation to, 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 to wage bearing uh, of, of how that, that, that works on. And you add things in, like, I mean, it, 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 it's funny, you know, we added, there's an extra bank holiday and sick pay next year goes from three to five days. Uh, pension uh, comes into the SME for, um, for the first time. Um, it's just a list uh, a list of stuff. Raw material has evened out in the last year of compared it is, but it's way up and it's part of that inflation where it is. Will it go, like, I mean, there's a huge grain issue coming out of us. We can't see it. It's just been on the wet of July going. So the Irish grain industry is in trouble alone. It's all lying in the fields at the moment. And what's happened down in the Ukraine and the port now um, as well will have, we'll have a bearing on there. So that's one that's coming at us as well. Will fuel hold down? So it is a case of um, restaurants, bars, Restaurants in particular around food will have to put up their prices. If they don't, they won't survive. They're, they're kidding themselves. Okay, but then what about the way that the consumer has changed habits? I mean, even in your own time, okay, you're not in the pub trade per se, but younger generations don't drink out, go out to drink as much as you or I's generation yes. might have actually done. Uh, people perhaps will become more cost conscious in the future. Also, this thing that people now seem to eat earlier, that they eat isn't at half six in the evening and you're closed maybe at 10 or 11 o'clock, whereas a lot of people in the old days in restaurants, we used to like staying till two or three in the morning. That's right, yes. Um, and that's got pros and cons too from a, from a staffing element and, and holding people in the industry that were not open as late in restaurants. Uh, so, so, But it's certainly, you know, 9.15, 9.30 on a, on, a, on a Saturday night is it, whereas pre-COVID it would have been 10.30, last orders, 10.45, 11. The, the demand ain't there for that uh, anymore. And I think a lot of restaurants, we, we certainly didn't put back in as many tables as was there and, um, to, to give that space and that safety and give a, a better a be, better better level of service to it. But to answer your question, like, I mean, there's, uh, I think... As an industry, we're really worried. We're, a little, we're probably a little bit fortunate in Fire and Soul that the, the level of customer we, we take in at the moment, whether it's that high-end tourist, it's a domestic celebrating or, or it's a corporate, but I wouldn't like to be in the... I, and it's a seven-day operation in the city centre, and yes, we've got a cost base to go with that, but if you're a neighbourhood restaurant or if you're down in Longford or down in West Cork, etc., you know, that's a three-, four-night-week business at best, more like a three-week, uh, three-night business, etc. You add all them cost stuff we talked about earlier on, etc., and you're trying to increase that price as well, and as consumers worried about um, spend and, and confidence and so on, which seems to be quite there at the moment, it's held, I think, consumer confidence in, in, in the main, um, but it's 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 what's coming at it, but I wouldn't like to be running a a a restaurant in in West Cork or Longford. But if people are going out less, and if they're finishing up their orders earlier, does that mean the Irish person is less fun than they used to be? Uh, oh, I need to be careful with this one. Um, do you know what? We've come back more serious than COVID. There's no doubt about that. Um, and 
the numbers of examples like I mean I don't know where a lot of people went during COVID as well but when we managed to hold on to our core management management team and a lot of our, our, our core culinary team and we made that the decision to do that and thankfully we did because when we got moving again um, we were ready to go etc but some of the fantastic waiters and waitresses in the bar and um, um, it, 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 the chef de parties etc they're just gone and I, we're still trying to find them and trying to replace these guys uh, particularly the front of house uh, house guys and retrain them and look for the certain amount of personality as well and the Irish consumer uh, and the, the the foreign consumer as well that's coming in as well just doesn't seem to have the same level of patience at all um, to work with people and, and bring it on etc and uh, you know that, that 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 is an issue and it's something we all need to be wary of etc but yes if prices are gone up and you're out for a night and it might be your only meal uh, that you're going to take out for that month or whatever the case may be you want a certain level of service you want to leave your problems at the door and not pick up somebody else's and we're striving to do that but and the consumer has every right to do that Just to finish off you have the Erlingus College's Football Classic coming up towards the end of August I'm sure there are people who have suddenly become interested having listened to that is there going to be any chance for them to pick up tickets for the game? Um, we're sold out. Um, we're just doing a, a rattle around now at all the universities, etc. Um, some tickets may come back over the over the coming weeks. Uh, it's very small. We're talking about in, in a couple of hundred, etc. If the, if and when they do, we'll put them up on, on Ticketmaster um, uh, for, for their sunny return that comes back. Well, that must be one relief from putting on an event knowing you're sold out. Yes, it's 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 fantastic. It's uh, it's 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 a great relief, and it's you know, and, and it's also the balance of that. That because you're trying to, uh, we found this year, like I mean, last year, uh, with 18,000 Americans come in, it was probably a little bit less. Nebraska, we should have traveled in higher numbers, but we're coming out of COVID, etc. Florida State and um, Georgia Tech next year will be 25,000 odd, but we need to pick up 23,000 domestically. And so, in one sense, we weren't able to give the domestic audience that the, the, the tickets for this year's game. So, it's bittersweet in relation. You're trying to do the right thing around tourism, but it's creating an expectation Absolutely. perhaps as well, isn't that's it? it? And that, that's what we want to do. It's a great family day out, it's a fun day out uh, in relation to. to, to um, um, what's there? So it, it is. It, so we did let we did a lot, let a lot of people disappointed down this year. However, Sky are taking the game. It's an NBC, which will broadcast back to about somewhere between five and six million in the states. It's a seven thirty kickoff, and so it will be available to watch in Ireland it's as well. It's available on, that. on uh, one of the Sky stations in, in Ireland. Yes, so Sky Ireland and Sky UK are taking it. Well, that'll make that'll create an enormous degree of understanding of it and also the fact that the GA season is over you've got the gap before the Rugby World Cup starts as well which is I think so how many more years are you guaranteed for? So we're, our object, we started off with a five game series which was from 2020 so we now moved it on to 22 um, we've announced three of the five games in hopefully before the end of the year we'll announce the 2025 game we've moved the objective uh, we've talked to the, the, the steering committee and, and the stakeholders and we've said we want to make this an annual game. So we want the US college football season to start in Dublin in week zero forevermore men and that's now the new objective and um, certainly are the, the, the Aer Lingus and the three partners in Dublin City Council Falls Ireland and Tourism Ireland uh, are embracing that uh, as are all the hoteliers restauranteurs and everyone else who um, benefits out of it and the other side of it I suppose is the much more than a game side of it um, the amount of business events and the academic events that are coming into town this week um, are immense you know finishing off with one of the key events that the, the CEO the Ireland USAC 
the O clubs um, sits in the Mansion House on the Friday and, you know, fabulous speakers coming into last year, but it's a great get together of American Irish CEOs that were in a network and hopefully ha- don't know each other a lot of them before and will go away with, 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 with connections. We will leave it there. Parik, thank you so much. You're welcome, Matt. And that was the first magnified of this, the third series of the podcasts. And if you want to catch up on all the other series, one and series two are available wherever it is you get your podcast and make them known to your friends as well. The more who get to hear them, well, the happier we'll be and the more support we can actually get for the venture to do more of these interviews in the future. So until the next time, from me, Matt Cooper, thank you for joining us here on Magnified. Magnified.